right. Second Kings chapter 12. Again, continue our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll dig into God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. Lord, we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I thank you, Lord, for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment. I thank you, Lord, for those also that are watching on YouTube and Vimeo later and those who are watching on live stream now, both locally and all over the country. Lord, may you bless them. So be our teacher tonight. May we leave here more in love with you. May you uh, encourage us, strengthen us, rebuke us if necessary. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So if you've been coming for Second Kings, First and Second Kings, we know that sadly, after Solomon had not been faithful and it allowed the, you know, the building of altars to all the false gods, that God brought judgment upon the line of David and said that they would no longer reign over all of Israel. And as we have seen for the last many chapters, the 10 northern uh, tribes were in what was called Israel and the two southern tribes were in Judah. And that was still descendants from David in Judah. And then we saw last week, if you were here, somebody came up to me and said, uh, that was like an episode of Game of Thrones or something. And it kind of was, because what did we see last week, if you remember, that the two kings were put to death because they were being unfaithful, the king both of Israel and of Judah. And God allowed them to be put to death. But if you'll remember what happened is the queen, a woman who was actually the mother of the king in the south who was killed, killed all of, all of his descendants, all of her grandchildren, or so she thought, so she could take the place and she made herself queen. And she actually reigned in Judah for 15 years, this queen. Never thought that, many of you probably didn't even know that. But you'll remember that in the midst of that, Jehosheba, forgive me, remember that name, Jehosheba, Jehosheba. Remember that in the midst of all of that, this woman who's only mentioned, as far as I know, right here in this local text that we saw last week, what did she do? She went and rescued one of the queen's grandsons that she would have put to death, and she hid him in the temple. Her husband was one of the priests, Jehoiada, and she brought him into the temple, and they hid him out for seven years. And during that time, the queen was being ruthless. And the queen was, had drawn the people even further away from the true and living God. And they knew the temple was the best place to hide that boy because they knew she would never go there because she had no relationship with the Lord. And then we saw that uh, after some time had gone by, they brought out and presented the rightful heir, this grandson of the queen. And as soon as she saw it, she cried out treason. Now, he was only seven years old at the time, but he had spent seven years being trained up by who was his uncle. Jehosheba was his aunt, so Jehoiada was his uncle, and his uncle was raising him up and teaching him. It reminds me of when Samuel was brought by Hannah as soon as he was weaned, and he grew up with Eli. And so here's the same thing. He, and so this way, he's in two ways. He's like, kind of like Moses, how Moses was rescued when they were killing all the children. Same thing with Jesus, as we know. And here we see the same thing happening to this young man by the name of Joash. So here's Joash. He's seven years old. He, he, they put him into the place of authority. The people recognize him as the king. They put the queen to death 
she's gone. And so now it seems like this young man has had a good start. He was, ra- he was protected by God. He was raised in the temple. He had godly leadership around him to raise him up. And as we're going to see, he reigns for over 40 years. So he has a long reign as king. But here's the sad part, and this is what I want us to look at tonight. Go ahead and grab your outline. We'll go through it together. Tell the message, well done, good and faithful servant. Those are the retirement words we all want to hear. Amen? That's the, that's the 401k for the faithful believer. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And sadly, we're seeing it in the world today, and we're certainly seeing it through the book of Kings, that there are many who seem to start well. They seem to be being used mildly by the Lord. And then whether they just get lackadaisical or lazy, or they start to cease to be desperate for God, we see that toward the end of their life, often they fall apart. And sadly, we're going to see that again tonight. And it breaks your heart that here's Joash starting so well. And we're going to see in the end he falls apart. And without you know, naming names, because I don't think it's necessary, but we've seen you know, some very well-known, a very known apologist who was you know, seemed to be used by God for decades. And then we found out after he died that he was committing adultery all over the place. And when you find that out, it just breaks your heart. Amen. And, and you know what? Take heed lest we fall. Because all of us, even if, you know, if we've been serving the Lord, even for a long time, we must never come to the place where we think we got it nailed on our own. Guys, without him, we can do nothing. In the original language, that word nothing means nothing. You can't do anything. Apart from the Lord, without him, we can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So here's an exhortation from your pastor. It was an exhortation to me as I studied this for the last several days. And these are areas where we can be reminded, and these are ways that, w- that will help us to hear those words one day and to live a life that is worthy of it. First of all, giving ministry away. So we're going to see that when we're in ministry, and it does, you don't have to be a pastor, or it doesn't have to be anything, quote, official, but whatever area where you serve in ministry, your heart should be to replace yourself in a way, to make sure that when, you're, when you know, the Lord takes you home, that somebody steps right into your place. Or if you move away, if you're looking at Zillow, thou shalt not look at Zillow. But if you're looking at Zillow and you end up moving away for cheaper housing in a red state, uh, <laughs> you just hit about 18 people right in their chest right there. But if that happens, we should be giving ministry away. You know, we should be duplicating ourselves. We'll talk about that. Secondly, finish what we start. Everything we do, especially for the Lord, should be done wholeheartedly and with excellence. Guys, if we're not going to do it with our whole hearts, don't do it. Don't bother. If we're not going to go teach the children's ministry and do it with a love for the kids and praying for them throughout the week and recognizing that's the most fertile ground for salvation in the entire uh, body of Christ is with children. If you don't recognize what a privilege that is and what a get to, not a have to that is, please step out and we'll trust that God will raise somebody up that's called. Amen. But when we do it, we want to do it well. We want to finish what we start. Too often, people begin and they burn out. I've had this, I've had this come on my Facebook feed at least 10 times in the last week. Why do almost all pastors burn out? I reject that completely. And I'll tell you why I reject that. You only burn out if you're doing it in your own strength. 
If you're doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit, I've been a pastor 33 years, and I'm as fired up today as I've ever been, and I'm more excited about the future than I am what God did in the past, and I can't believe I get to do this, and I promise you, as long as I can breathe in and out and stand up, I'm not going to give up till I get to heaven. Amen? Amen? And that should be our heart. Amen? Shouldn't that be our heart to finish what we start and to do it well and to honor the Lord? Thirdly, give to the Lord with the right heart. If you've been going to Calvary Chapel any length of time, you know that we don't even pass an offering. We will never manipulate people to give. And we don't, we don't need, God doesn't need your money. He just wants your heart. Amen? And you know what? Giving is something that we purpose beforehand. And do you know that the church I pastored in Santa Cruz and this church here, from the day we opened, both churches, God has always provided We've never had to ask anybody for money. There's never going to be a thermometer on the wall. We're not going to do any gimmicks. We're not having eight offerings on a Sunday. We're not doing that. And the reason we're not doing that, we don't want you to tip God. We don't want you to feel guilty when the bucket goes by. I better put something in. I'll look like a heathen. Amen? We don't want to do that. We want to joyfully give. And we need to give to the Lord with the right heart. Again, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Give to the Lord with the right heart. Walk by faith. Do not operate in fear. We're going to see in tonight's text that Joash, unfortunately, is going to get caught up in the fear of man, and in doing so, he is going to basically uh, really deny the Lord by the way he responds, and he's going to take the very things that they reclaimed from the queen. She had taken the furnishings that belonged in the worship of the Lord in the temple, and she had removed them. They had been placed back in, and now he's going to be under attack, and out of fear, He's going to give up the furnishings that are used to make sacrifices to the Lord so he can be left alone. Guys, that's not what a man or woman of God should ever do. Don't ever give up your walk with God to make somebody else happy. Don't operate because you're afraid of what men will think or women will think or what somebody else will do. And again, I know I say it a lot, but fear doesn't come from the Lord, but we all have moments of fear. Can I get an amen to that? We have moments of worry. We have moments of anxiety. We all have that from time to time. But the difference is, as believers, we don't camp out there. When we have those moments, we come humbly before the Lord and we confess to him, Lord, I'm fearful right now. Help me in my fear. should not be uh, something that describes us. It's something we may struggle with for a moment, but we come humbly before the Lord. Walk by faith, don't operate in fear. And then finally, finish strong. I know I've shared it 20 times, so 21 won't hurt you. But when my dad was still here before he went to heaven, he was a pastor for 60 years. We used to talk on the phone almost every day when I was driving between sales calls. Most of you know I have a full-time job. Long being a pastor here, we would talk almost every day. And we would finish every phone call the same way. He'd say, say, I love you, son. He'd say, I love you, dad. He'd say, finish strong, son. He'd say, finish strong, dad. And I want to finish strong for the kingdom of God. You know what? I don't ever see, I don't see people being used mildly in scripture retiring. One of my favorite people in the Bible is Caleb. Remember when they were going to the land of promise and Caleb and Joshua said, we got this. And the other 10 people panicked so they didn't go in. So when they came back, now Joshua's in his, or Caleb's in his 80s. And he'd been promised the land of the giants. And when he went in, you know what he said? I still want it. Give me the land of the giant. He didn't say, you know what? I'm thinking a rocking chair, bag of Cheetos, and a cabin on the Sea of Galilee might be sweet right about now because I'm 85. 
No, he finished strong and he conquered the giants in the land. And he raised up a godly man for his daughter. And he was used mightily by the Lord. Guys, we don't want to just, you know, finish barely as by fire. Man, I want to run through the tape with everything I've got left in me. Amen? May we finish strong for the kingdom of God. And by the way, at the end of your life, you have a lot of wisdom. And you've spent time with the Lord and you have a lot to give to that next generation. And the enemy wants to isolate you and have you sit home and watch Netflix and, and eat TV or whatever, right? He just wants you to do anything else. You know what? I love my, my daddy to teach the seniors ministry in the church in San Jose, you know, the seasoned saints. Praise God for seasoned saints, amen? I'm becoming one of them. So be praise God for, for people who've been around a while that are walking with the Lord. And again, there's such an example for us to follow. So let's begin there again in 2 Kings 12. Well done, good and faithful servant. Remember that Joash has now been presented as king. He's been the king for a period of time. And we pick up there in chapter 12 in verse 1. In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash, and that's also Joash, it's two different ways it can be spelled, became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. So this was the boy king when his father was killed by Jehu. His grandmother, Athaliah, decided to take control of the kingdom and killed everyone else who could possibly lay, lay claim to the throne. And Joash survived because his aunt took him and hid him in the temple where he was raised by his aunt and uncle, the high priest Jehoiada. When Joash was seven years old, Jehoiada pulled a coup, had Athaliah killed, and made the little boy king. So this little boy who starts out at age seven is going to reign for 40 years. So he has a long reign. He started well. He was raised in a temple. He was protected by God. God, by the way, you're indestructible till God's through with you. Amen. God, so we don't have to be afraid of anything because God, God is the one that holds our days in his hands. And so this is a long and mostly blessed reign. Joash fell short of full commitment and complete godliness, but he did advance the cause of God in the kingdom of Judah. If you remember at the end of the last chapter, one of the things he did not do is that he, he had the word of God. He had a godly, uh, someone discipling him. He was raised in the temple. Then when he became king, he had the army that was loyal to him, the people that were loyal to him. But if you remember, the one thing he didn't do that we saw last week was stop the worship that took place in all the high places. So he, he tore down, they, they had torn down the temple to Baal and they had destroyed those things, but they'd allowed these other places. Now remember, the high places were simply a more, in some people's minds, a more convenient way to worship the true and living God. Some went there to worship Yahweh, truly. Others, it was false gods. But even those that went to worship Yahweh, they knew they were commanded that the only place that they could make sacrifice was in Jerusalem at the temple. But if you remember all the way back early in 2 Kings, that the reigning king in the north in Israel did not want, Jehoram was his name, he did not want the people to go back and forth to Jerusalem because he was afraid that some of them might not come back to Israel, back to the northern kingdom. So he set up these golden calves and these altars, one in Bethel and one in Dan. And so what it was like was, hey, this is more convenient worship. 
And why do they keep picking golden calves? Help me out with that, man. What's up with that? Because that's what they saw in Egypt. It's here's worldly worship. And you know what? There's some things haven't changed. People want to worship where it's more convenient. I have people like call me on the phone. Oh yeah, we're thinking about visiting your church. How long does church last? Until God says it's over. Can I get an amen? How long does church last? And I'm like, how long's too long? If the Lord's moving, can I get an amen? By the way, if the Holy Spirit is moving, a three-hour service isn't long enough. And if somebody's standing up there unprepared and the, word, and the Holy Spirit's not there, five minutes is too long. Can I get an amen to that? So we want to be where the Holy Spirit is. We want to be where God's doing a work. And there needs to be a hunger. We need a hunger for the Lord and the things of God. But what they do is they make it more convenient. There are drive-through churches now, literally. You can drive through to church. Throw some communion chips out the old photo mat store or whatever, right? And there's this thing where everybody wants to make it convenient. We've had people from our own church, and you know if it's you, love you guys. But some said, some have said, you know what? I kind of like having church in my pajamas, eating bacon and eggs. It's kind of nice. I love that my commute from my upstairs bedroom to the TV is 20 steps. And again, if you're sick, I get it. If you can't be here because of health reasons, that's fine. Otherwise, forsake not the gathering yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. Amen? Amen. So they made it convenient for people to worship. And that's one of the things that Joash should have absolutely taken down. We were one of the first churches in the country to have live stream back in Santa Cruz. We got it really early. We had a lot of techies that worked for Apple and they set this thing up. And I remember telling the church, if I look out here in two Sundays and half of you are gone because you're staying home and watching on TV, we're ripping that thing out. Amen? Because it's a blessing to be able to watch on live stream, but you miss out on the fellowship. And you cannot use the gifts God has given you, and you miss out. And unfortunately, Joash had fallen in the trap that he had not done that. And so he has been the king. In a lot of ways, he's honoring the Lord. He's certainly a huge step up from Queen Athaliah, the evil uh, daughter of Jezebel. And so here he is. Jehoshiva had saved him. We see that God has transformed the kingdom uh, through her uh, faithful act of, of rescuing Joash. And all these wonderful things are taking place. But sadly for Joash, he's not going to endure. Now look what it says in verse 2. Jehoash, it's Joash, did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days while Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. Boy, there's some powerful things right here. So Jehoiada is a priest and he's a man of God. When he dies, he's buried with the kings. They view him as really a ruling king because when, you know, when Joash was seven years old, he didn't have the ability to truly rule. So it was really Jehoiada that was ruling while he was raising up Joash. Now it says that Joash was faithful as long as Jehoiada was there. And we're gonna see when Jehoiada is gone, that Joash, because his own walk and his own faith and his own determination to be obedient to the Lord was not where it needed to be. Once Jehoiada was gone, he began to fall away. And it's one thing, I think, I say this all the time, somebody should be discipling you. And I'm a big believer in giving ministry away, as we'll see uh, in the next few verses. But giving ministry away is 
is Jehoiada is raising him up, and Jehoiada is teaching them the truth, and Jehoiada is preparing him to be the king. But sadly, once Jehoiada left, Joash no longer continued down that road. There are many people that were concerned. If, you're, if you know much about the Calvary Chapel movement, uh, God founded the movement, but one of the men he used was a man by the name of Chuck Smith. And people used to say, what's Calvary Chapel going to be like when Chuck Smith leaves? I'm not worried about Chuck Smith leaving. I'm worried about the Holy Spirit leaving. As long as the Holy Spirit's here, and praise God for Pastor Chuck. Praise God for him. He was everybody's grandpa, everybody's dad. He was amazing. I love Pastor Chuck. He just taught simply, whole counsel of God. Praise God for it. He had no idea. He took a church of 25 people, had no idea that God was going to bring thousands of churches and millions of people would get saved, and the whole Jesus movement would come out of just teaching verse by verse right through the Bible and loving people unconditionally. Praise God. Amen? But see, people, people what are we going to do in Chuck? Chuck, Chuck doesn't come to my church. We're going to keep having church, amen? Pastors come to me all the time. What do you think about all the changes in Calvary Chapel? I'm like, I haven't changed. Have you changed? Okay, well, nothing's changed. What are you talking about, amen? And we don't put our faith in men. We put our faith in God. Praise God for godly men. I have three pastors that really had a huge impact on my life. Well, actually four if you count Pastor Chuck. My dad who was pastoring, I was a PK, that explains a lot, doesn't it? I was a PK, preacher's kid, and I love being a preacher's kid. Not all preacher's kids like it. I loved it. I love being a preacher's kid. I love the accountability that came with it. I loved everything about it. My dad was the best Bible teacher I've ever heard in my life for me, and he was a gifted man, and he, was, he, and he taught me how to love uh, a wife because the way he loved my mom. He taught me how to be a disciplined man working a full-time job and pastoring a church. He taught me what the heart of a servant was. Uh, to me, one of the, maybe the most godly man I've ever met was my own father, and I count that as an incredible blessing. But not only was he somebody, then I moved to Lancaster in my, in my young years, in my early 20s, and I started going to a church plant, and this man by the name of John Snodderly poured into my life in my early 20s. He knew that I was going to be a pastor many years before I even thought that was possible. People used to ask me, are you going to be a pastor like your dad? Absolutely not. That was my response every time. But he threw me into the deep end of the pool. He allowed me to, to be in places I wasn't prepared for so that I would grow through that. And praise God for it. And then Don McClure, I was his youth pastor for five years. He did men's ministry. And I learned a lot from him. And my dad told me uh, he was a pastor right out of, he got saved in his early 20s, at, right when he got out of the Marines. He went straight to uh, Bible college. And then he was pastoring a church when he's 23 years old. And he said, son, if I could do it over again, I'd be somebody's assistant for 15 years at least. Why? Because you know, we, we, want, we all need to grow, and I need to continue to grow, amen? But part of it is that, look, we don't need to see the time where we're growing as wasted time. It's precious time, amen? And so Joash had had that time, and he had experienced that, that you know, being discipled, being cared for, being taught the truth, and now Jehoiada's gone. How's he going to respond? Guys, why do I say this a lot? I know it bothers Josh every time I do it, but I'm going to do it again. If I get hit by a bus tomorrow, who's the pastor? Joshua. Why do we do, why do I tell you that? When we were in Santa Cruz, I do the same thing. Why? Because we're not having search committee. If you have a search committee for, I'm in heaven, I'm coming back. Can I get an amen? <laughs> we'll be doing that. This whole, you know, people spend three years with a search committee trying to find, look, my heart right now is to invest in Joshua and Doug and Tim and our assistants. That's, my, that's what I'm, our, my heart is to do. 
And again, they can minister to me as well, but my heart is to, to give those guys opportunities. Do you ever see anybody from outside your church come up here and teach very often? No, we use our guys. I want them to grow. We want to give ministry away. Why? So that when, I get, when, when, when my time is up, the ministry continues. Amen? And that's what happens here is Jehoiada's been preparing Joash, but Joash has to participate. And sadly, Joash is not going to stand strong. He's not going to continue. See, when Jehoiada dies, we know from 2 Chronicles, by the way, whenever you read First and Second Kings, you really need to look at the companion text in First and Second Chronicles because it gives you a lot more information. And here's what it says in 2 Chronicles 24, verses 15 to 22. But Jehoiada, the man who was raising him, grew old and was full of days, and he died. He was 130 years old when he died. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings. He'd been faithful. He'd been serving his king by standing beside the young king, Joash, because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and his house. Now, after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. Therefore, they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. Yet he sent uh, prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord. They testified against them, but they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who stood above the people and said, Thus says God, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper. Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. So they conspired against him and they commanded uh, uh, the command of the king. They stoned him with stones in the court in the house of the Lord. Then Joash the king did not remember the kindness of Jehoiada his father had done for him, but killed his son. And as he died, he said, the Lord look on it and repay. What in the world happened to Joash? I know that was a lot, but here's what happens. Jehoiada's gone. Joash starts listening to the people. They, the people dragged them back and they're worshiping false idols again and wooden images. And then Jehoiada's son, who's also a priest, he stands up and calls him out and says, what you guys are doing? You've walked away from God. They brought prophets and they rejected the prophets. And Joash was the one who'd been taught the truth, who'd been raised in the truth, who knew the truth, who was the king of Judah. And he was influenced by the world instead. And he followed after them. And this man, Jehoiada, whose wife had saved his life, their son, Joash, had put to death, had rocks thrown at him until he died. Boy, how quickly he went from a place of being submitted to Jehoiada and being used mightily by God. But look how quickly when Jehoiada is gone, when the, account of, the earthly accountability is gone, look how quickly men can fall away. So tragic to see what happened. Quite a sad turn of events uh, at the end of Joash's life. As soon as his uncle dies, the strong guidance influence he had grown accustomed to is gone and he doesn't seem to know how to handle things on his own. It's good that we have people to disciple us. It's good that we have people who hold us accountable. But we also need to be able to stand for God on our own two feet when no one else is around. Amen? We need to make a stand for God when we're the only one in the room. We need to make a stand for God when we show up at work and we might be the only Christian in the building. You hear me say it all the, all the time. When you go to work tomorrow morning, uh, the Holy Spirit just entered the building. Amen? 
And so we praise God for discipleship and praise God for those who pour into us. But we've got to come to the place where we can stand for God even when nobody else will. Amen? And if you're not paying attention, our country is not getting closer to the Lord, but it's getting further from the Lord. And it's time for us to stand up for the things of God and be unashamed of the gospel. And they can ban the word of God from places and they can silence us on social media, but they cannot silence the word of God coming out of our mouths. Amen? And we must not be ashamed of the gospel. And Joash, sadly, as soon as that leader was gone, he fell apart. He had done what was right in the sight of the Lord as long as Jehoiada was there and as soon as Jehoiada left. Bad company corrupts good morals. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. And again, we're called not to be thermometers, but thermostats, right? What What does a thermometer do? It just reflects the temperature of the room. What does a thermostat do? It changes the temperature in the room. Guys, we're not just to go with the flow. Any dead fish can go with the flow. We're not supposed to just be like the world. We're called to to be in the world, but not of the world. To, To, again, minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. To it be taught how to do things on their own. One of the things I've done, and some people get bothered by it, and, and that's okay. I, I, will, I don't often go to other ministries in our church, and let me tell you why. It's not because I don't want to be there. But I want Joshua to be the youth pastor, and I want Doug to be the men's ministry pastor, and I want Tim to lead the worship. Why is that? Because it's all preparation for them to eventually, Lord willing, either pastor this church because I'm not here anymore or plant another church. And the same should be true as you give ministry away and you allow them to be the ones that lead that group. If I'm there, people look to me. I don't want them looking to me. I want, I want other people to be able to use their gifts and to grow in, in leading others. Does that make sense? So if there's a, a men's retreat, I go. But the men's study, I want other people teaching. I want to see other people using their gifts. I want to see other people growing in the Lord. I want the people planning the retreats. I want them uh, raising up and discipling people within the ministries they're overseeing. That same is true for the women's ministry, any other ministry in the church, this college and career group that we're going to be starting here. Craig and Chris are going to oversee that. And I want to see those guys grow. I want to see those guys uh, use the gifts God's given them. And by the way, I want to see every one of you grow. And I want to see every one of you using the gifts God's given you. Guys, you're breathing in and out. God's not done with you. Amen. And here's Joash, and sadly, he loses his focus. He starts to follow the world. And again, the sad part is, once he's left alone, he fails miserably. I remember teaching my kids to ride a bike. You start off with training wheels. And you, and you, you, know, you can let them go on their own, but when you take the wheels off, you got to run beside them. But you only can run beside them so long. Eventually, you got to let them go. Amen. And they got to be able to do it on their own. And the same is true in ministry. We want to raise people up. But you know what? At some point, uh, you know what? You don't, I, I, and I don't mind when this happens. People will call me and say, I'm witnessing to this guy, and I don't know what to say. And they'll go, I'm putting him on the phone. <laughs> and I'll do that every time if you call me. I'll happily talk to him. And that's wonderful. But at some point, got to get off the training wheels. Amen? <laughs> at some point, we got to let it go. And every one of us is called to be salt and light. Amen? We only need one of me, and we need just one of you. We don't need a bunch of me, or you know what I mean? We want all of us to be using the gifts God's given us for his kingdom 
and for his glory. Look at verse three. But the high places were not taken away and the people still sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places. Again, these were the places of convenience. Again, uh, allowing worldly traditions to take precedence over God's word and commands. See, it was just, well, it's tradition. This is what I've always done. Well, it's closer to my house. It's, I don't have to sacrifice as much. It's easier for me to worship this way. Guys, it's a lot easier to disobey God than it is to obey him. And it's easier to compromise. But you know what? Compromise is the enemy of calling. And God's got a calling on our lives. And may we not fall into compromise. Those who lead are afraid to break tradition often out of the fear of men. Too often when I would speak to pastors, especially in Santa Cruz, because our church was growing and most churches in town were falling apart, and I would tell them, just teach the Bible. Oh, they won't let me do that. Who's they? Fire they and teach the Bible. Amen? Well, my people won't stand for it. Well, what are they standing for now? Seven Steps to Financial Freedom, Beaver Doesn't Live Here Anymore, the series, The Roller Coaster Ride of Life, You're the Missing Puzzle Piece. Stop it. Teach the Bible. <laughs> Amen. But here's what happens when we're afraid of what men will think. And, we're, and I love you guys, but I'm really not all that worried about what you think. I'm, worried about, I, I'm concerned about what he knows. Amen. And you know, I love you and I don't want to insult you and I don't want to do say something in, in my own... Uh, flesh that harms you. That's the last thing I want to do. But that being said, on judgment day, I'm not standing before you. I'm standing before him. And every one of us is going to stand before him. And we want to hear those words, well done now, good and faithful servant. Amen. So it's a clear picture of that compromise that can take place when we start to become like the world, when tradition and the will of the people takes precedence over the word of God. See, the, the, the young king, he's a little older now, but he may have thought, well, you know, if I, if I come back against them, what's going to happen? Maybe they'll turn against me. Guys, when we're called to do something, we don't need the uh, accolades of men. We just need to be faithful to God. We don't need the praise of men. We just need the strength that comes to the power of the Holy Spirit. It says in Deuteronomy, but you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all the tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. See, Jerusalem was the only place. It was where the temple was to be. They were taking shortcuts with God. Guys, let's not take shortcuts with God. Here's a shortcut. Calling, praying over your Wheaties in, in the morning, a prayer life. Amen. <laughs> Dear Lord, thank you for this food in Jesus' name, amen. I pray every day. Amen. Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. So giving ministry away, preparing the next generation to remain steadfast and faithful after we are gone, having them serve with you and alongside you, and then teaching them uh, to never allow worldly traditions or man-made religious rituals to take the precedence off of God's word. By, by the grace of God, I think I've had, I don't know, at least a dozen assistant pastors. If someone ever told me that any one of them stopped teaching the Bible and was teaching some other nonsense, I would get in my car, drive to wherever they are and call them out in Jesus' name. Thankfully, that has not happened, amen? Because I wanna encourage them. And you know what? I was encouraged to do the same. See, somebody poured into me, now I'm pouring into somebody else and now they pour into somebody else, amen? This is who's discipling you and who are you discipling? That's how the body of Christ grows. Finishing what we start, look at verse four. In the seventh year of Jehoiada, oh, excuse me, and Jehoah, Johash said to the priest, all the money 
of the dedicated gifts that are brought into the house of the Lord, each man census money, each man assessment money, and all the money that a man purposes in his heart to bring to the house of the Lord. Let the priests take it to themselves, each for his own constituency. Let them repair the damages of the temple wherever any dilapidation is found. One thing about Joash that was near to his heart was still the temple. And why was it he was raised there? You know, he had seven years hiding out there. And now some time has gone by and the temple hasn't been given the care that it deserves. Now I want to say this. I don't believe God wants us to have, uh, you know, golden domes or anything. Amen. I believe he just wants, I think the place where we worship, we're the church, not the building. Amen. But at the same time, Anything we have for the Lord, we should take good care of it. Amen? And, and we're blessed to be here at Hillcrest Christian School and praise God for the school. And I'm thankful for the ministry that takes place here. And I love that we pay our rent to a Christian school. Amen? So it's furthering the kingdom of God. All those things are wonderful. But we need to take good care of this place. Well, the temple itself, which was one of the wonders of the world in those days, you could tell how God wasn't a priority because the temple was falling apart and it needed to be refurbished. And here's Joash, now a young man. We don't know how old he was exactly, but he says, look, all the, all the money that's being brought, we need to take a portion of that and we need to use that to repair the temple. And what had been happening more than likely was the money was coming in and the priests were doing with it whatever they wanted. And by the way, when you give to a church, it's not the pastor's money, it's God's money. And we all know that here, amen? And if you don't know it, all the pastors here have full-time jobs, and when we praise God for it, and we want to take the money that's given and use it all for the kingdom of God, and we do not take it lightly, amen? And so we want to be prayerful. We have our, our elders meeting tonight, our pastors meeting tonight. We have it every quarter or so. We look at the finances. We, what, what should we be doing? How can we take God's resources and use it for God's kingdom? Or, well, here Joash kind of steps up and says, hey, you know, the temple's falling up. We need to do something. We need to change what we're doing. He talks about three ways of giving. His census money, this was a half shekel that each Israelite older than the age of 20 had to pay every year. Uh, assessment money is literally uh, the money, uh, an, an estimate, kind of like a property tax based on everything he owned. And they would take a percentage of that and they would give it again for the Lord. And then finally, all the money he purposed in his heart. These were free will offerings that were above and beyond what were required donations. So he's saying, look, we need to take those resources and we need to use them to build up the place where we worship the Lord. The temple needed red, uh, restoration because remember, Athaliah had vandalized it. She had ripped things off and stolen things out of there. And so he wanted everything put back in place. So Joash, while he's made a mistake that they're still worshiping in the high places, he still seems to be on track, at least at this time. But as we go along, he's going to get further and further away. Again, using much of the giving for their own benefit. Uh, you thought Benny Hinn originated that. But, you know, and all these other, you know, people on TV, the name it and claim it, grab it and blab it, believe it and achieve it, and turning God into a holy Santa Claus in the sky. And if you send them $1,000 in seed money, they'll sweat on a cloth and send it to you. Stop it. Amen. It's nonsense, okay? 
And, you know, you're naming names. Well, the Bible names names, so we're naming names. Pray for them. Amen? And to get right with the Lord. Verse 6. Now it was so, by the 23rd year of King Joash, so that the priests had not repaired the damages of the temple. So he instructed them to do it, and they weren't doing it. At least early on, they were instructed to take money, set it aside, but nothing was happening. And years were going by, and the temple was still in disarray because they were not taking, uh, you know, uh, they were not taking care of it, and they were not respecting the word that came from the king. And guys, this is why so many of us are not being used as much by the Lord as we could be, because we're not taking uh, to heart the words of the king, our king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. When he instructs us, those are not suggestions. They're not the 10 suggestions. Can I get an amen? And sadly, what happens is too many just take the word of God too lightly. And sometimes too, here's another thing that, that, that this is, just breaks my heart. There are people that think grace, the grace of God means that your sin now isn't that big of a deal. Let me encourage you. Your sin now is as big a deal as it ever was. Amen? Amen. And the enemy will tell you, well, you're under grace, bro. You're not under the law. You're under grace. Yeah, we're under grace. Grace is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Amen? Amen. And we should be just as grieved by our sin, if not more so now, because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and you're taking him with you on all your sin fests. Amen? You take him with you, and you should be convicted. I, I, I know. Praise God for conviction. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Aren't you glad when God convicts you? You know what that means? You're his. You belong to him. You're adopted into his family. That's my Holy Spirit conviction right there. That's how I feel it right there, man. Holy Spirit head slap from Almighty God. What are you doing? What are you look? What are you thinking? What, what, stop. Amen. And praise God that he loves us enough to grab a hold of us when we need it. Here he is in the 23rd year, and he, you know, we don't know again when he first started collecting money, but after a while, I began to notice that nothing was being done. God is continually at work in our lives. It tells us being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it till the day of Jesus Christ. We ought to finish what we started. It says in Proverbs 12, the lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is a man's precious possession. We need to learn to finish what you've started as an important component of faithfulness. It says in Luke, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? So here's this exhortation for us and this example. And, and in this case, Joash is kind of getting after the priest and saying, guys, we've been talking about this. It hasn't been happening. And at this point, Joash is exhorting them to finish what they have started. Guys, everything we do for the Lord, everything we do, period, but everything we do, especially for the Lord, should be done with excellence as an, and as an act of worship. Verse 7, so Jehoash called Jehoiada the priest and the other priests and said to them, why have you not repaired the damages of the temple? Now, therefore, do not take more money from your constituency, but deliver it for repairing the damages of the temple. And the priests agreed that they would neither receive more money from the people nor repair, nor repair the damages of the temple. So here's what he's saying is, look, 
you've been, you've been spending money in the wrong places. You've been taking what God has given and you're not using it for God's glory and for his temple. And so he's telling them, look, you need to stop and you need to make the focus on taking what God has given you and using it for his glory and not your comfort. Amen. And that is a word for all of us. You know, God wants us to be good stewards of the reason. You live in his house, you're driving his car, you're wearing his clothes, you've got his gifts, you've got his talents. Use it for his kingdom and for his glory, not yours. Amen. Amen. And that's the exhortation here that he gives to the priests, and they've been called on it. And the king calls them on it, sits them down, calls them by name, and they go, okay, we'll do it. And every once in a while, we need someone to love us enough to stab us in the front. Amen. To call us out. Christians don't stab each other in the back. They stab each other in the front. You know, we need, we need to give God our first fruits, the best of what we have. We need to be good stewards of all the Lord has given us. Be faithful to use the treasure, time, and talents he has given us for his glory and not for our comfort. Point number three, give, the Lord, give to the Lord with the right heart. Look at verse nine. I love this because I'll be honest with you. I had never seen this before, but I think this is the first agape box ever. Look, verse nine. Then Jehoiada the priest took a chest. He bored a hole in its lid and set it beside the altar. On the right side, as one comes into the house of the Lord, and the priests were kept at the door, put all the money brought into the house of the Lord. They had a box with a hole in the top next to the altar, and there they put the money that was given. Again, it wasn't, you know, passing a, it wasn't trying to draw. But here was a place where you could give, and it was a great reminder as, they, you know, as, as the sacrifices were being made, it brought a remembrance of, of the cost of my sin, and then knowing that it, it was a heavy cost for that lamb or that bull that go, and it was all pointing to the Messiah that's coming, and it was an opportunity to give. And guys, again, God doesn't need your money, he just wants your heart. They purpose and set money aside to prepare the houses of the Lord, just as we determined beforehand, not manipulated by men to give with a cheerful heart. Look at verses 10 through 12. It says, so it was, whatever they saw, there was, that there was much money. Whenever they saw there was much money in the chest, that the king, scribe, and high priest came up and put it in bags and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. By the way, counting the money. That's called keeping people accountable. Amen. I don't know if you know this, and, and, and I don't know what anybody gives here. I have no idea. I know the total amount. I'll find out, to, you, know, you know, we get the total, so we know how to use it, but I don't want to know. And here's why I don't want to know. First of all, I don't touch the money. I don't count the money. I don't take the money to the bank. I, you know, touch not the wine, touch not the women, touch not the money, touch not the glory. Amen. And so we have people who count it together. There's accountability there. We know how much is there, so we can set money aside for different ministries and how we're going to use it for the glory of God. But I also don't want to ever, even in the back of my mind, fall into the trap for even a moment that I would treat anybody differently, and I would hope I never would, but you never know. <laughs> Amen? Did you hear so-and-so just put up 50 grand in the... How you doing, bro? How you doing? You got a nice seat up here? No, 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 no. Amen. The Bible talks about that. Don't put the rich man up in a higher, you know, don't, don't exhort somebody. Amen. So you give with a cheerful heart. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. You give faithfully. You give it to the Lord. To God alone be the glory. Amen. 
Then he says there, they counted it. Verse 11, they gave the money, which had been apportioned into the hands of those who did the work, who had oversight of the house of the Lord, and they paid it out to the carpenters and the builders who worked on the house of the Lord, and the masons and the stone cutters and the buying timber and hewn stone uh, to repair the damage of the house of the Lord, and for all that was paid to repair the temple. So it is interesting that they take the money that's been raised and they put it into the hands of the people who are working for the Lord so they might be good stewards of doing what God has commanded them to do. When the people were assured the money would really be used for the purpose it was given, they responded generously. And, in, and again, uh, similar arrangements we'll see in chapter 22 with King Josiah. So successful had been the king's program and so well did all uh, concerned carry out their duties, there was money left over. We'll see it in Second Chronicles. People gave, they fixed everything, and there was money left over to minister to other people. Where God guides, God provides, amen? You don't have to beat people up. You don't have to do any of that. We'll never do that here. You give as the Lord calls you to give. It's important also not that we give, but that we give with the right heart. You need to know that we hide nothing about what's given here at this church. If you give at this church and you want to see where every dime goes, I'll, Mike Beck is our bookkeeper. I will have him print it out and hand it to you. We hide nothing. Why? Because it's all God's money and we're accountable for it. Can I get an amen to that? Okay? And so, I'll just quickly, I wrote these down in three minutes, just in case you don't know. We have rent here at Hillcrest. Praise God that we pay rent to have a place to meet. And praise God that money goes to a Christian school that is teaching Christian kids. So yay God, amen. We're taking God's money and giving it to God's people to use God's money to <laughs> praise God, amen. Uh, I will say that four of the pastors here, we all have, all five of us have full-time jobs. Four of us who are here and working a lot of hours, we do have small housing allowances. Again, certainly not enough to come close to providing for our families in any way. By the way, when when I decided to give our assistants housing allowances, none of them would have wanted it. None of them uh, ever thought it would happen, and they were blown away by it because they would do it for free. Can I get an amen to that? But the Bible does also say to provide for those who bless us spiritually, let's minister to them physically. Can I get an amen to that? Okay, but all of us have full-time jobs, and we love that we do at this time. That could change. I don't know what God's going to do. But I just want, I've been a pastor 33 years, and 29 of them I've had a full-time job. We give to the radio ministry. There's a lot of people here because of the radio ministry. We have people watching all over the country because of it. We're on five radio stations now, and we might add more. And we get calls. I carry the church phone around. We get 20, 30 calls a day sometimes from people being ministered to all over the country because you faithfully give, and the Word of God goes forth. Amen? Praise God for that. We give to Bayamba. Those of you who don't know, that's in Uganda. We personally sponsor 10 kids, but we also give extra whenever there's a special need. And we praise God for that ministry. We have sent a team there to see it in person. And again, they're raising up children. It's a school that raises them up in the truth. Uh, we've always, we also give to the Crisis Pregnancy Center. It's got a different name now. I forget what it is. But we give to them monthly. It's right here in Thousand Oaks. And they are the ones who do the free ultrasounds. They help save babies' lives. We believe in that. Can I get an amen to that? We also give, uh, we, we, we haven't had one for a little while, but we're about to have one again. I believe in church plants. I love when you go out and you start a brand new church. That's what we did here. And I tell people it's the base jumping of ministry. You just jump off and say, Lord, catch me. 
Because you go somewhere with maybe just your family and you start a church from scratch and you get to watch God do a miraculous work. And this is a miraculous work in here that God's done. Well, there's a new church being planted in Brazil by a young man. Well, he's in his 30s. That's young to me. A young man and his wife, and they moved to Brazil and they are planting a new Calvary Chapel down there. And we are going to be paying rent for their building. So we're paying their rent so they can plant a church. And you know what? We're going to keep doing that as long as I'm the pastor here. Amen? Because we want to see churches planted, and we want them to be able to devote as much time. We, we pay for, we have Bibles. By the way, if you need a Bible, and you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in that back table, and you can take them whenever you want. You know what, though? If you take it, you need to read it. <laughs> can I get an amen to that? I pray if you take it, every time you look at it, you'll feel convicted. I told Pastor Dave I'd read it. Read it. Open it, read it, obey it. Can I get an amen to that? Bibles, children's ministry curriculum, sound equipment, uh, the live stream. You know, our, we have sermons going out on the website, on Vimeo, on YouTube, on Facebook. Ministering to those who have need within the fellowship. From time to time, we have people that are struggling, going through difficulty, and we minister to their needs when they have a need. We're all one family. If you're hurting, let us know. We want to minister to you. Uh, retreats and youth camps. Uh, we do, you know, we have the website and signs and advertising, much more than that just off the top of my head. I mean, and there's so many more ways that we take the finances God has given us and we're using them to further the kingdom of God. Amen? We're not spending, we're not, and again, obviously we're not spending money on a big building. Amen? Those chairs are free. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, God's provided for us, and we want to be faithful stewards of it. And I want you to know, like I said, if you ever have any concern, you ever want to look at the books, knock yourself out, we will never hide it. We will always be transparent. It's all the Lord's money, and we're accountable for it. Amen? amen. Then it says there, as we're continuing on, so we, we, it's finished, you know, giving to the Lord with the right heart. Look at verse 13. It says, however, there were not made for the house of the Lord basins of silver and trimmers and sprinkling bowls and trumpets and any articles of gold or articles of silver from the money brought into the house of the Lord. So originally, they didn't think they would be able to collect enough to replace every implement that had been stolen, everything that had been taken. We know when we get to Second Chronicles that they gather so much money, they're able to not only fix everything they wanted to fix, they were able to fix everything that had been broken, destroyed, or taken away. Verse 15, but they gave that to the work, to the workmen, and they repaired the house of the Lord with it. I believe why, why the work wasn't getting done before this is they did not have faithful workers. See, we need to have faithful givers and faithful workers. Amen? So part of what we do is we give of our resources and our time, but also of our talents. And so when we, we give to the Lord, but also we need to be serving the Lord. Amen? And it says there, notice they found some guys that were trustworthy, and they gave them the resources and trusted them to get it done. And you know what? That should happen in the body of Christ. We should be trustworthy to be faithful to get done what God has called us to do. Verse 15, moreover, they did not require an account from the men into whose hands they delivered the money to be paid to the workmen, for they dealt faithfully. Can, can anything better be said of you than that you deal faithfully? That you're a faithful man or a faithful woman of God? I can think of no greater compliment than that. That you're someone who's faithful to do the things that God has called you to do. Those who are truly called don't have to be babysat. Amen? 
I will not call you into ministry because if I call you, I have to sustain you. And I have a full-time job and I teach here twice a week and my phone blows up every... I don't have, I'm not, I, don't, I can't babysit you. No, <laughs> amen. But here's the thing. If you're called, it's a get to, not a have to. And nobody has to babysit you. I never have to make sure Joshua shows for youth group. I never have to worry about Doug and men's ministry. I never have to worry about Ashley at the women's ministry. I never have to worry about John showing up early and setting up all the chairs on Sunday. Can I get amen to that? Because see, when people are called to do something, it's a joy. It's a, I'm sweating for Jesus. Amen? I'm doing this for the Lord. Guys, it's a get to. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And again, I know that some of you, maybe you were more involved in serving the Lord before, and for whatever reason, you're not as involved as you used to be. I want to give you an opportunity to be involved again. Amen? Amen? I want to see you guys being used for the Lord. God's not done with you yet. I shared this when I went to the, the memorial service. I ran into a guy who came to our church in Santa Cruz when it first started. He had planted a church and pastored it for a while. And for whatever reason, the church had failed and he had been kind of sitting on the sideline for years. And I just walked up to him. I put my hand on his chest and I said, bro, God's not done with you yet. And God wants to continue to use you. And he needed to get that, that old uh, pulpit out of storage and start teaching the Bible to somebody somewhere because God doesn't just pull your gift back because you went through a difficult, can I get an amen? And so I want to encourage you guys. Now, my encouragement is not going to include me sitting down with you and going, okay, here's the five things. That, no, I'm not doing that. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray. And I want you to seek the Lord. And I want you to say, you know what? God's given me a heart for this. And then guys, we will support you and we will do everything we can to, to help in that area. Amen? We want to encourage you to do that. Guys, again, we want to hear, well done now, good and faithful servant. Verse 16, again, the money. Now, point number four, we're almost done here. Point number four, walk by faith. Do not operate in fear. Now watch what happens. So Joash, he seems to be doing pretty well. Other than he allowed the high places to stay, that is a big deal. But it had been going on with king after king after king. He had fallen into the tradition of let it continue to happen. So that's the one area where he's fallen short. But now watch this. This is sad. Because, you know, he got the temple rebuilt, you know, refurbished. He, you know, he was honoring the Lord in a lot of ways. He had started well. Verse 17. Hazael, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath. And took it. Then Hazael set his face to go to Jerusalem. So Hazael, he's the king of Syria. Syria at this point has a much smaller army than Israel does or Judah does. But here he comes and he goes and he, you know, he wins a battle. And now he's going to come after Joash. Now what should Joash do? He should be on his face crying out to the Lord and trusting God. Amen. But what does he do instead? He's not going to operate in faith. He's going to operate in fear. Look at verse 18. And Joash, king of Judah, took all the sacred things that his fathers, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, Ahiza, kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred things, and all the gold found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord in the king's house, and sent them to Hazael, king of Syria. Then he went away from Jerusalem. Here's what he does. He takes everything that he had just done, all the stuff that had been fixed and repaired in the temple, all the things that had been stolen away by the evil queen that he has replaced. And now when his life is being threatened, when a battle may be coming and he has not been one to win battles on his own, what does he do? He takes everything that belongs to the Lord, he gives it to the world and he runs away and hides. 
That is not what a king does. That's not what a godly man does. That's not what a godly woman does. Amen? We don't go hide in a cave. We don't want run away from opportunities. So sad to see how here's Joash, and here's the reality. You're not going to crumble in great difficulty if you're standing faithful in small things. If you're standing faithful daily in the small things and trusting the Lord every single day, you're not going to be blown off track when something big comes along. You know who gets blown off track when something big comes along? Someone who's already scared to death when the small things come along. Someone who's already not faithful when they should be faithful in the smaller things of life. Someone who doesn't get up early in the morning and read their Bible. Someone who doesn't make prayer a priority in their life. Somebody who never shares their faith with anybody, never looks for divine appointments, isn't serving in any ministry. And then COVID comes and they hide. Not shocking. Guys, but if we're walking with the Lord, if we have intimate relationship with him, we know he's on the throne. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's not surprised by any of this. And God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And we're going to keep serving him until he comes back. My prayer is when he comes back, he'll find us about his business. Amen? Amen. We won't be contemplating our navel. We won't be, you know, in a lotus position, hiding out somewhere. And again, if you've got, you know, if you're really susceptible and you've got health issues and you're concerned about COVID, stay home, watch on live stream. God bless you. I get that. That's not most of us, though. Most of us can, should be able to make a stand for the things of God. I, I just love, again, the fact that if God calls us, he will sustain us, and he's a faithful God. And Hazael is about to travel 150 miles to Jerusalem, and he gets scared half to death, and he pays off the world rather than standing for God. Finally, finish strong. Look what happens. Verse 19, 18, or verse 19, excuse me. Now the rest of the acts of Joash, on all he did, are they not written in the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And his servants arose and formed a conspiracy and killed Joash in the house of the Milo, which goes down to Silla. For Jezekar, the son of Shimeath, and Jozebed, the son of Shomer, his servant, struck him. So he died, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. Then Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. See, guys, when we are fearful and faithless, we don't have victory, we have defeat. See, because this man would not go into battle, because this man would not stand for the things of God, because this man had allowed himself to be ruled by fear, his life doesn't end in victory, it ends in defeat. He's killed by some of his very own people. It says this in 2 Chronicles 24, then Joash the king did not remember the kindness of Jehoda his father had done to him. See, one of the reasons that he's going to be killed is because he had killed Jehoiada's son. Jehoiada's son would also be his cousin. And he had killed him because he dared to stand up against him. Because when he was operating contrary to what the word of God had commanded, he, stand, he stood up. Now, this is what it says here. It says, as he died, he said, the Lord look on it and repay. So it happened in the spring of the year that the army of Syria came against him. This is 
the Hazael that he pays off. And they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the leaders of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. For the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men, but the Lord delivered a very great army into their hand because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. So they executed judgment against Joash. Here's what happens. He disobeys God and God allows the world to bring judgment upon his own guy. See, guys, sometimes when, the world, when we're going through difficulty with the world, it's not just because the world is ungodly, but sometimes it's because we're unfaithful. He had given up the sacred items. He had killed a man who was godly. He had lost his way so quickly. A man who had so much to begin with, protected as a baby, raised in the temple, discipled by godly mentor Jehoda, came out with scriptures in his hand, turned Judah back to the true and living God, away from the evil practices of Athila, the evil murderous queen. He started well, but he did not fulfill his bright and beginning promise. His own servants struck him. He compromised and he did not finish well. Can I encourage all of us? If you're compromising, it's time to repent. You can take a hundred steps, a million steps away from God. It's truly only one step back. And the enemy wants to distract you. And, he wants, and again, we need to live our lives. We need to go to work every day. We need to be the best workers in the building. We need to be good husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and grandparents and good citizens. And we need to do all those things. At the same time, though, that is not excluding what the Lord is in our life. Every aspect of that should be reflecting that the Lord is in our life. When you go to work, you should be the salt and light of the workplace. Everywhere you go, God wants to use you for his kingdom and for his glory. We need to wake up every morning with an eternal perspective, praying, Lord, do something today that will impact eternity. Lord, give me an opportunity. Give me a divine appointment to speak into somebody's life. The greatest ability you can have for the Lord is availability. Here I am, Lord, send me, amen? amen. Yes, Lord, your servant hears. I wanna be used for your kingdom and for your glory. Sadly, Joash started well, but he didn't finish well. And you know what? He lost the respect of his own people, and in the end, he perished. And you know what? Again, we want to have the respect of people. That's something that is earned, not demanded. But what we really want is to have, be right standing before the King of Kings. Amen? So, well done, good and faithful servant. Give ministry away. Make sure that whatever you're involved in, be duplicating yourself. Be discipling somebody. Be pouring into someone's life. Finish what we start. Don't just start part of the way. If you're burnt out, you're doing it in your own strength. If you're doing it for the Lord, the Holy Spirit will sustain you. Give to the Lord with the right heart. If you're going to give, give with the right heart. It's all his. And you know what? When we give, God loves a cheerful giver. And if you can't give with a cheerful heart, truly, truthfully, and I mean this, keep it. God doesn't need it. Amen. Walk by faith. Don't operate in fear. Don't allow what's going on around you to change your walk with the Lord. If anything, it should strengthen it. And then finally, finish strong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you for your word. We thank you for the examples you give us in your word. And Lord, I pray for each of us. Lord, if we have areas of compromise in our life, may we repent. Help us, Lord, to be giving ministry away to others. Help us not to just be worried about ourselves and our home and our family, but Lord, to, to minister to the lives of others, to speak into the lives of others. I pray also, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to not only give, give ministry away, but just to be faithful to the calling you've placed upon our lives. Lord, use us for your kingdom and for your glory. 
May we be cheerful givers because, Lord, everything we have belongs to you. Help us, Lord, to finish strong for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said...